right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 330. And with that number, going to give a shout out to former NWSL goalkeeper Sabrina D'Angelo, Canadian who's now playing, who's been playing over in Europe. D'Angelo played 330 minutes in her NWSL playoffs career, twice winning an NWSL title in 2016 with Western New York Flash. She was the MVP, making three saves in the penalty kick shootout. And in 2018, she backstopped uh, North Carolina Courage in the semifinal. And then, of course, Caitlin Rowland backstopped them in the final. Um, And yeah, I wanted to highlight the Courage, but in a positive way. Because, of course... This is a weird episode. It's just one long chat. And it's not so much a chat as a decompression slash venting session with who else? My my partner in Woso Crankiness, Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. Um, hope everyone can, if not enjoy, at least, uh, I don't know, empathize with the, <laughs> the crankiness that, that we're going through. Um, I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone with two X's and or at Keeper Notes. Um, and as always, if you have any feedback about the podcast, don't hesitate to email me at Keeper at KeeperNotes.com. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with Dan Laletta of Equalizer Soccer. Um, as usual, Lots of shit happening. Yes, I used the S word. So, of course, I had to call Dan and go, Dan, we, we just have to have a, a decompression meeting. Let, let's call this an NWSL anonymous meeting. How about that, Dan? Yeah, we're going to be cranky, but this is not going to be the fun kind of cranky that we usually do. <laughs> Hopefully, we can get back to that soon. But I think it, it's necessary processing for you, for me. Uh, hopefully for my listeners, um, there's so much to digest. And and for everybody listening, this is not going to be, um, you know, a chronological recap of everything that's happened in the last week, because you can find that at Equalizer Soccer. You can find that at The Athletic. Lots of good news coverage out there of everything that's happened related to NWSL in the last week. So I highly advise to, to find that coverage elsewhere but then here here's a place to kind of we're i want to share context i want to share different angles and 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 dan i want us to talk about like what happens next what should happen next concerns about what we've heard so far so why don't i just lob the ball to you and and make you start well to be honest with you i don't know what happens next i don't know what should happen next i think this is the, you know, you're never going to get a perfect organization, right? I think if you get past like nine or 10 people in any group, you're going to start to have bad eggs. And they might not be as bad as to commit sexual crimes, if you want to call them crimes. But, you know, you're not going to get a perfect organization. But what you can get is an organization that handles these things well. And I think the bigger takeaway from the Paul Riley story that The Athletic came out with last week is not so much the things that Riley did, but the ways in which Riley was enabled to not only do them, but to then continue to work in the league and continue to be 
honestly pristine for the most part. I think 90, 95% of the league thought of Riley as a guy with a pristine reputation. So I'm not in any way justifying what he did. He should have been fired. He should have been fired as we now learn six years later that he was from the Portland Thorns, even though at that point it was easy to think, well, they had a bad season. So it's easy to let him go and you just brush it off. The same thing with Fareed Benstiti, who we now learn a couple of months later. Well, he didn't just walk into the office and quit and go back to Europe. Something happened there, something on a way lesser scale than what Paul Riley has been accused of. But the team went to Benstiti and they said, we would like you to resign. He resigned and they said, Fareed Benstiti has resigned. And, you know, um, Bill Predmore uh, very candidly spoke about this on a media call last week, and I give him a lot of credit for doing it, but it was months, months too late. And he even said, you know, I, I don't, I know most people won't agree with me, but that's the way that I thought it should be handled, and that there are legal ramifications about saying what happened. But all he had to say was there was an incident that did not involve soccer. And because of that, we asked Fareed Benstiti to resign, and he did. And then the entire narrative is different. And then journalists maybe go and dig for the story. And then maybe Fareed Benstiti's next employer digs in a little bit for the story or doesn't become his next employer. And this absolutely happened uh, with Paul Riley when he was in um, Portland and speculation that it happened also in Philadelphia and the Long Island Fury, New York Fury on Long Island and the WPSL elite. There was nothing specific about anything happening with the flash or the courage, and we certainly hope that it didn't. But this story is not about Paul Riley so much as it's about all the different ways that Paul Riley has been enabled to stay in the league for all these years after what he did with Monashim and Sinead Farley. And, uh, you know, that's it, it, it's hard to swallow because it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like if you walk into a room. And there's not that many people that you know, but there are one or two or three people that you know. You can gravitate to those people and have some level of comfort. But it feels like the room right now doesn't have any friendly faces, right? Because almost every organization in this league at some point this season has been culpable of things that are just honestly inexcusable. And it goes up to the league level. And I do think that uh, Lisa Baird's participation in this was despicable. And I think that the decision that was made on her Friday was absolutely the correct one. I'm not one to be calling for people's jobs, but I just don't understand how you could have kept Lisa Baird on running the league because she basically, you know, if you want to ask me, I think that Lisa Baird got this email from Mana Shim and uh, apparently one from Sinead Farley also, and probably never heard of either one of them, right? And said, you know what? Right. I, don't to, I don't have to worry about this. Like, why should I drag my lead, my league, through the mud for the sake of these two players that I never heard of? And what's the league's media policy? Say nothing. So say nothing. And she didn't count on Meg Linehan getting in touch with those players, and uh, and she paid for that with her job and her reputation, and rightfully so, because that is a, all she did there was further enable. Uh, bad people to keep doing bad things. And, uh, you know, that's 
that's kind of a shame. So where do we go from here? I mean, they stood, they, they have this committee now, and I think they handled the committee about as poorly as they've handled everything else. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I think that, you know, I, Well, there's you know, a lot to fine. digest there, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think about when I, when I look at that email um, exchange between, uh, was it Mana that sent the, the email? Um, yes. You yes. know, to, to Baird, that the timing of it, right? So it was late April before the regular season starts towards the end of a challenge cup, maybe what, two weeks after the announcement of the anti-harassment policy and all of those elaborate policies that um, were sent to us. And by us, I mean, media, Um, even though we didn't get the competition rules, (laughs) we we got, we got nothing related to roster rules or competition rules, but we got all the documents on anti-harassment and, and I think there was like a new trans policy and all kinds of intense documents like that. Right. Um, so I think it's telling that it's, it's like, wow, that that's when it should be like at the top of your list. Right. Cause you've just made a big deal about it. But if you yeah. read the email and if and if he didn't, just check out Alex Morgan's Twitter timeline and it's on there. And I do believe that Alex Morgan's tweets were probably what got Lisa Baird fired yes. because that was the, you know, the quote unquote smoking gun evidence. But if you read, you know, Lisa Baird's response to Manashim read like a press release. You know, thank you for your email. We did this and the investigation is closed. And then a meaningless paragraph about how the NWSL takes player safety seriously, which I don't think anybody can um, really believe that that was true ever, but certainly not now. And then, you know, the uh, the last line, which I should have memorized by now, but I don't. But basically, thank you for your email and good luck to you in the future. You know, because that's not only saying that I'm not going to do anything about it, but that's, you know, that's like a brush off, you know, yeah, totally. and, and we've all been there in social settings when someone's like, yeah, I'll give you a call. And, you know, they're not going to do it, you know, <laughs> like, have a good day. Good luck in your future endeavors, you know, which is basically a big stiff middle finger. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Monashim found somebody to tell the story. And, you know, it's, it, and I remember back to like the Sarah Gordon incident where Sarah Gordon clearly wanted that to be litigated on social media. And she went directly to Twitter to get it out there. Whereas Shim and, and Farrelly and, and Shim was the, was the leader of it. She tried to go through proper channels. Like she, it sound, it seems like she didn't want this to be an expose in the athletic. She wanted the league to actually right. get involved and investigate it properly and when she ran out of options, that's when she went and spoke to Meg. And, you know, good for her for doing it and good for Meg and everybody else who helped work on that story. But it should never need to get to that point. And it's also telling, um, you know, because I know there's always people that, that react. And, and, and I'm mostly talking about people that don't follow NWSL very closely. But, the, but they'll hear about this story because it breaks through that barrier of Woso not getting covered. And they'll be like, why didn't she say something years ago? Well, she did. Right. She did, you know, and was told, sorry, nothing can be done. Right. And it wasn't until this April that the league actually had a policy in place to deal with this. So then she finally had, Hey, now you've got this infrastructure. Why don't you use that infrastructure to handle this issue? I brought up nearly six years ago. Um, But the, but the policy is great, and you know Elise LeHue got fired 
because of the anti-harassment policy, even though the league doesn't want to tell or let slip the actual reasons, but it was the anti-harassment policy. So the policy is fantastic, but if you go back to 2015, do we need a policy to um, operate a league or any other business where people don't sexually abuse others? I mean, you know, I don't know that that really required a policy to, um, you know, to get Paul Riley out of the league at that point, if that's what the findings were in 2015. And I really don't get it. And I think about, you know, you and me and Hal Kaiser were sitting in a pizza place in Portland in 2015, the week of the NWSL championship. And we six, were six years ago this week, basically. Yeah. That game was October 1st. And we were laying the groundwork for the NWSL Media Association, which still exists today. And the idea was to get better access and open up better lines of communication with the league. And I think it was it worked for a good couple of years. New regime hasn't been quite as receptive. But while we were doing that, Paul Riley had been placed on administrative leave by the Portland Thorns, and they told nobody. And I, and, their, I mean, and their press I release just it. said, you know... Thank He's you moving for your on. time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, what, and four just, sentences, I think. It's, you know, it's it's appalling, to be honest, that, that that it's all come to this. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, who's the who's the friendly face in the room? If you walk, you know, apparently we're not doing the whole NWSL at the coaches' convention this year, but if you walked into the NWSL virtual room, who's the friendly face right now? I don't know. And should we talk about their committee for systemic... Um, transformation because they have Amanda Duffy on the committee and I don't have anything against Amanda Duffy, nor do I have any evidence that she's ever suppressed anybody's complaints about anything, but you can't have the person who ran the league for one third of its existence on your committee to systemically transform it. And then they have Andrea Kramer, who's an attorney and part of her legacy is refusing to investigate Jeffrey Epstein. So okay, whether she... one, thing, one, thing, one thing at a time, Dan. One okay, thing one time. thing at a time. So, so let, let's start with the three people on the committee, because Andrea, what's her name, is not on the committee. Um, okay. The, the, the committee is Amanda Duffy from Orlando, who was the stopgap, let's not call her commissioner, run the league person between Jeff Plush right. and Lisa she, Baird. She can't and be on have, this committee. Wait, 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 wait. And, and what's her name? What's the name? It's it's a really nice French name from Lorraine. Oh, I know. oh Savage Sauvage yeah. Sauvage, and then um, there's a third one. It's not Andrea Kramer. I'm looking. Keep keep. It's not. It's, it's not Michelle Kong. It's not. Keep stalling for time while I look. Keep stalling for well, let's, time. <laughs> well, let's talk about Amanda Duffy. Amanda Duffy cannot be on this committee. I'm sorry. And this is, she might be great for the committee. She can't Angie be on Angie Long. Angie Long. Angie Long. Kansas there you City. go. Yeah. All right, Angie Long. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was very excited to see Angie Long and Sophie Sauvage on there. Amanda Duffy did surprise me. Like you're saying, it's like, wait, you, you were part of that that system. Um, maybe they're telling themselves, Hey, she wasn't there in 2015. Um, or Hey, she actually knows how things run. This could be an advantage, but I would, I would then be like, Hey, she could be a consultant to the committee. She shouldn't be on the committee. You can ask her how things ran. You cannot have her on the committee. And that has nothing, again, that's got nothing to do with what she did or didn't do when she was in charge of the league. You can think she was the best 
acting commissioner or the worst. You just can't have somebody who was in previously yeah. in charge on a committee for transformation. Here's the from the league release. The league has retained Covington and Burling to oversee these investigations and make recommendations for reforms. Amanda Amanda Kramer. Former assistant United States attorney in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York will lead the firm's team and will report directly to the NWSL board's newly formed executive committee. All right, so that, I'm, I stand corrected on that, but you cannot, you cannot, you cannot have her as part of this solution. You, you, you can't. Wait, you cannot have, you cannot have Amanda Kramer Amanda on the committee, and then separately, the issues with Amanda Kramer. It's nice we got two Amandas there. Like, for those who don't know, she's the person who chose not to press charges, what, like twice against Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein? And you know what? Whether and everyone should go and read up on that and draw your own conclusions, whether it's true or not, you couldn't find somebody else that doesn't have that reputation behind them for this particular assignment. I can't believe they couldn't do better than that. And if you read the Newsweek article, like the 12th and 13th words are Amanda Kramer. So it's not like this is buried down in some article somewhere. This is very easy information to find. And as our friend Haley Carter said, can't you at least use Google if you're not going to do a full vetting process? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that tells Uh, me that if you're not already following Haley Carter on Twitter, you should all be following Haley Carter. Absolutely. I agree. But this, what this tells me, because we don't know necessarily who's running the league right now. We assume it's a committee of owners. I think Arnhem Whistler was kind of like the, you know, the mouthpiece for it in, you know, before, um, like in the interim between Duffy and, and Lisa Baird. But it, this tells me that all the league is doing is looking to put out good PR and they're screwing that up. But this tells me that the league is really not yet in a position where they actually understand how serious these matters are. Yeah, it's just this right now. That, that's why I feel like U.S. soccer, surprisingly, I felt like they hit it out of the park by hiring Sally Q. Yates. This time they did. Yeah, this this time, right. Um, you know, that, and, and they, they bear some of the responsibility here too. And I don't think that's gotten enough attention that, you know, up until what, last year, the U.S. soccer was basically running the front office and obviously yep. they still have, they still have a big, financial stake in it um at least in terms of paying the national teamers though at the same time they i feel like they turn a blind eye to the league a lot and are like oh wait we're supposed to promote that why would we promote that we're promoting our own team yeah, exactly but yeah, that's, that a whole, that's a whole other bitching Ooh, session we've had that a um, whole bunch of times I, you know it's hard to say though because you know everybody wants to immediately look for areas and say all right here's the blame right like Merritt paulson and gavin wilkinson need to go because they didn't report the full findings. But we don't know exactly what they found from that investigation, right? We know there was an investigation. We know there was enough to put Paul Riley on administrative leave and they didn't say anything. And I cannot defend that under any circumstances. We don't know if we don't know if what we read in the athletic article is exactly what Paulson and Wilkinson knew about or found out when their investigation happened in 2015. Similarly, you know, you say, well, how would U.S. soccer not know about what's going on with the league? Well, we don't know exactly what the relationship is, right? Like, if right. Paulson sent that report to the NWSL, does that mean anybody at U.S. soccer actually saw it? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. It's an interesting conclusion to jump to. I mean, I don't think they're 
off the hook necessarily, but I don't know that we have any idea. It's exactly a question that needs that to be. It's works. a question that needs to be answered. You know, similar to I, I think it, it's worth repeating that. Um, you know, it was Mana who made the complaint in 2015. Sinead did not. Right. Right. So, so everything that all all the accusation accusations from Sinead are not something that Portland was made aware of. Right. You know. Um. So you know, and they didn't they, even seem to know about it for each other until recently. Right. Right. Um, and I also think about, I, I mean, you and I have been around this for, for, for so long. It, it makes me flash back to the end of WPS, right? Where we were hearing these insane stories coming out of magic Jack. Right. And, and some of them were even verified and it didn't, it, it didn't have a reckoning the way, you know, I would have hoped. Well, I right? think it's- like, like looking back, though, though, obviously that league was already teetering on the brink of, of collapse. Absolutely. So, so I don't feel well, like that, that that was a thing that, that took that league down. Well, um, it, but it just I left mean, a saved, really he, bitter taste in, in everyone's mouth. I mean, the weird thing is that magic Jack saved the league. Yeah. And then for, for the last like, season. Yeah. Right. And they were kind of like, well, since you're dying, let me come in and save you and then I'll kill it. I'll kill you off in the way I want to kill you off instead of just watching you die on the <laughs> sideline. But but think about it, because I remember being at the, I guess it was the 2011 draft, and Magic Jack was in, but they hadn't been formally announced. And whoever was in charge of the league, and you're going to have to help me out, her first name was Anne Marie, and I can't remember her last name. Eloris? Yeah, like you're close if not accurate. And basically (laughs) we were like, Hey, tell us about the new owners. And she said something like, well, we're going to let them make their own announcement. And they're right there. Big red flag, because I don't think they vetted uh, Daniel Borislow who ran magic Jack because I think they were desperate and I wouldn't be surprised, right? If you could give Merritt Paulson some truth serum, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to 2015 and says, you know what? Our team stunk this year. Alex Morgan didn't like Paul Riley, so it makes sense that we fired him. We're three years old. We don't have a TV contract. Our website is like a, I don't know, you know, it was like a .txt site like back then. Like the league was not guaranteed to survive. I wouldn't be surprised if he said, you know what, I can't drag the league through the mud with this, so I'm just going to quietly slip Paul Riley out the door. Not defending it, just saying that it was a different landscape back then, and I wouldn't be surprised wouldn't be surprised if that would, was part of the reason that, you know, this was allowed to slide by. Well, and even if there's not that thinking of, hey, I don't want to bring down the league, it's probably, I would also say some disregard or inattention to the, it's like, hey, there's no processes for this. Hey, there's no HR person at the league office. Hey, yep. you know, like, like what do we do with this? Well, we shared it with the league. Do we have to do anything else? I don't know. But there was a PR person with the thorns. No, I don't mean HR, 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 right. But there was an HR person with the thorns who, who they met, who they met with. You know, I had a job where me and about 70 other people got hired. It was like a kind of a startup project and it was a part-time deal. And eventually I kind of rose through the ranks a little bit and, the person who was like the boss of it was always very hesitant about 
anybody that didn't do a good job. Like he never wanted to, you know, give them less hours or not invite them back. And I eventually, he told me that it really was a personal thing for him because he's the one that did all the hiring. So if he had to fire somebody because they weren't doing a good job, it made him feel bad. So, you know, maybe these outside investigations are, are better than running, you know, for that reason alone, right? Like maybe you don't want to say, well, I hired this coach and it turned out to be a, a bad idea or I overlooked this or I overlooked that. Again, I'm not defending any of this behavior, especially when you get into sexual assault. But, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, human emotions at play when you go through this process. Well, and, and I think this whole situation is um, really bringing to the forefront how uh, the league is still lacking a lot of infrastructure on, on many fronts, not just in terms of how players should be protected and treated and, but just the whole, you know, like, Hey, it's not about looking professional. It's, it's about actually being professional. Right. And, yeah, and I, and I think for a league that's, you know, on the verge of going into its, its 10th year, it's frustrating to me, especially as someone who was worked in and outside of the league, you know, that, that there's not more of a, you know, institutional memory built up. There's, there's not um, infrastructure, even, even the little things, you know, for me personally, like, you know, stats going back beyond 2016, right? I know that that pales in comparison to the other stuff coming out, but, but I think it's all, it's indicative of the same thing, right? That there, there hasn't been real league building, right? There hasn't been infrastructure building. It's more like, let's just keep looking like we're, we're doing good regardless of whether or not we are. agree. And I thought about the stats thing because I remember when the new site launched and it only went back to 16 and people were like, well, it's brand new, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can't make that excuse anymore because this is what year five. <laughs> but yeah. seriously, beyond that, if, you're, if your website does not have anything on it, that indicates that the league existed before 2016, then don't you think that mentality might have been in Lisa Baird's head when she read the email from Mona Shim about stuff that happened in 2014 and 2015? And, I'm, and again, that's not an excuse for blowing off, you know, a sexual predator, but she might have been like, yeah, we don't, who cares about that? Like this is, this is my NWSL is, is now like 2013, 14, 15, eh, that barely even existed. So, you know, yeah, this, you know, we get annoyed about stats and it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But I, I think the, the mentality might come from the same place. And I'll, I'll yeah, tell you one it, other it, thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, one more. <laughs> um, I, I spoke to a journalist who covered a little bit of the Larry Nasser stuff with USA uh-huh. Gymnastics. And again, you know, Fareed Ben Stiddy making comments at a meeting pales in comparison to Paul Riley and the stuff Paul Riley did, hate to say it, pales in comparison to Larry Nasser, right? But I said, yeah. Do you see do you see similarities in the way, you know, with you know, Paulson passing the buck and Lisa Baird not responding to what happened with Larry Nasser, where it went all the way up to the FBI and the FBI didn't want to get involved and, and disrupt, you know, the U.S. women winning gold in gymnastics. And, you know, she said, yeah, I do. I see some similarities and that, you know, that hits home because that's a, that's one of the worst scandals I think this country's seen. Well, and that's, that's a kind of a good segue to, you know, what happens now, because 
of course, you know, an easy phrase to jump to, and we've seen some players express this is, you know, burn it all down, burn it down, you know, and, and it's like, know. well, I, you know, I'm not saying the league doesn't need to make major changes, but for the huge majority of the players in this league, there is not somewhere else to go where they can play and get the benefits that they have right now. And I know that might be shocking to hear for some people when they, when they've seen the, you know, no more side hustles campaign from these players, but unless you're at the very top of your game and getting regular call-ups from your national team, you're not going to get a work permit for a lot of countries in Europe. And the ones you can get a work permit for are going to pay you less than you're getting now or you're going to have a shorter season so you're going to have to figure out somewhere else to play when you're not playing there right you know Iceland Sweden that kind of thing or you know it's like none of these um almost none of our NWSL players could legit play in the league in Liga MX right now maybe a, a couple right it's like there's not somewhere for them to go um so that's why you know I hope that you know, this committee does the hard work. I hope the league keeps um, responding to calls for change and, and responding to criticism because there's so much here that is salv- salvageable, right? The branding that we have slowly built up since 20 th- 2013. And there is a fan base out there. And when you think of, of the exposure, um, you know, that CBS has given this league just in, in the last year and a half. Right. And, and we're on the verge of having a first ever championship game on broadcast TV. We've never had that, not in WSA, not in WPS. And sure it's going to suck for the, for the players to play at 9am local time, but it's going to be on broadcast TV, right? Like there's so many good things and I don't want all the horrible shit to bring the good stuff down when there's actually something worth saving. Here's my question, and I entirely agree there's a lot worth saving, but, you know, if my house burns down, I have homeowner's insurance, it'll get rebuilt. Does the NWSL have enough homeowner's insurance that if it burns down, not the NWSL, I guess women's soccer in this country, is there enough homeowner's insurance there that if it all burns down, it'll be built back up? You know, the sell the team, Steve, um, hashtag for Washington, and I do know that Michelle Kang wants to buy out Steve Baldwin, so might be a bad example specifically, but this is not, you know, Major League Baseball, the NBA, where you put a team up for sale and there are people lined up right. by that team. You know, you, well, uh, Portland, might, Portland might be a better example. Yeah, yeah, you mean if something, you know, if the if the thing with Paulson gets bad enough that he's no longer associated with the league? Right, right. I mean, that we've even seen some people. It's like you know, Merritt Paulson should sell the teams. Like, I, you know, yeah, I, I just think it's presumptuous to assume that if you burn it all down, that you can just sprout up a new league and just right. make it go. And you know what happens when that happens? People go to the old reliable people who've been working in women's soccer. And to your point about the league has to continue to respond. Absolutely, but they need to do better than respond. They need to be out front on these things. You know, uh, all I kept hearing about when, you know, when when the pandemic hit and Lisa Baird was doing, you know, in fairness, a very good job with it, is that she kept talking to people in the other sports. Well, 
I don't know if she continued to talk to people in other sports, but I don't know one thing that any other sport has ever done that the NWSL that done well that the NWSL has ever followed up on. So there needs to be, you know, you need somebody in that office saying, you know what, these are ten things that could happen in the next six months. How do we make the best of those ten things? Whether they're good things or bad things, because as much as you have the bad things that happen, you and me talk all the time about how, hey, we have this great. I mean, you know, you're from Houston, and I've talked about this all the time. When you had Hurricane Harvey, I think I got the right storm, mm-hmm. and J.J. Watt raised I don't know how much money for the thirty million community, and at the time he was not married yet to Kalia, who was still Ojai, but they were engaged, they were out public couple, and yeah, I thought the NWSL completely underplayed the fact that one of their players who and I, I don't I don't know what year it was, but that was her Under, prime underplay, years underplayed, right underplayed, it was ignored, Dan. Yeah, and, and you know, and <laughs> fast, even, you know, we even had promos during the streams about giving money to the Red Cross, which is suspect, right? Because they because you give money to the Red Cross, it doesn't necessarily go to the storm that you know recovery efforts that you think it's it's going to go to. It's like right. that should have been a promo for Houston specific things, yes, right? Absolutely, and even fast forward to August, they get teams playing European powerhouses and beating them, and the league literally. If you look on the website, those games never happened. Never happened. I mean, I, it, the, the incompetence of that is off the charts in, in how unbelievable I think it is. So, you know, it's not, so it's not only responding to bad things, it's responding to good things as well that has held this league back. It's amazing how well the league has, how far the league has come. Um, Claire Watkins, who writes for The Equalizer, wrote this in a piece um, that was not on The Equalizer, but I just want to read this line. Uh, the NWSL has been exposed for operating at an intersection of ineptitude and malice that has left players stuck in between needing the league to survive and needing everything holding it up to collapse. And I thought that was a great line. I think we both agree malice is a little strong there, but yeah, they need the league to survive, but they don't need any of the parts of the league that are, you know, that keep it running to stay in place. Like none of them, like I said, there's no friendly face in the room. It's just, <sighs> I mean, I feel like I've been a little bit in denial where I, I feel like, no, things are going to continue. Um, it's going to be bumpy. You know, it's probably going to be the worst growing pains that the league has ever had, but things are going to continue. And I have had a couple of people say, it's like, well, we'll just wait. Right. But I, I feel like so much has been invested um, in this league. So many changes have been made prior to all of this in terms of like I think of the progress that's been made in terms of how players are compensated right thing when they started off with the minimum salary was 6,000 and you know your housing was probably a you know a host family and they didn't pay your relocation and there wasn't child care you know stuff and the season was really short so you had to play elsewhere the rest of the year right and um you know, and, and it's not perfect now, but the fact that, you know, less than a decade later, your minimum salary, minimum, even if you're a supplemental player who rarely makes the 18, is 22 plus free year-round housing and it's nice corporate housing, you know, and relocation expenses. And for some teams, you know, they offer use of a car. And if you have kids, $750 a month for child care, you know, it's, it's like... Like all that progress that, is, that has been 
Right. And Louisville and- has a person on the staff directly dedicated to helping everybody figure out, you know, getting to yeah. town, getting around town, all that. Yeah. Kind of and stuff. like, like Louisville, you know, they're going to build um, a facility, you know, training facility. We've, we've seen progress on Orlando, Orlando having a new owner, Houston having a new owner, um, you know, Leon coming in to be, to be part of the reign. And, and I feel like, um, you know, they've got long-term vision, right? Like Portland, clearly long-term vision. Um, the league doesn't have that. No, they don't even, I believe it's, it's, sometimes it seems like the league doesn't even know that there are games coming up until they're, until they're ready to happen. You know, like we used to joke about the schedule when it would come out late, like they're just going to every Monday, be like, here's who's playing this weekend. <laughs> um, but it, it's one of those things where you joke about it. And then like, I said, but it's that, not you know, funny. Might it be actually true in a sense? Is that, to, for me, this is the first time I don't feel like I want to watch the games. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm, I'm more like, I want to get back to, watching games because everything that we've been talking about, thinking about covering for women's soccer for almost, you know, for 10 days now hasn't been related to action on the field. But doesn't, doesn't like they're playing like Gotham's playing in, in Philadelphia. I assume people listening to this before that game happens. Um, Doesn't that kind of feel empty now? And it's a great tribute to Carly Lloyd. It's a nice idea to, you know, try to, you know, grow your fan base a little bit. And I think they're even offering free busing for, for season ticket holders to get down there. So they don't have to feel like, you know, the burdens on them to get all the way South to the Philadelphia area instead of going to Red Bull. But I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel like the right time to be celebrating, you know, well, yeah, ce- like that. yeah, celebrations too big, but I wouldn't want, you know, to this, this opportunity for Carly, and a game in Philly, right? There hasn't been a, a Wosa Pro game in Philly in a decade. Like, yep. I, I'd, I'd hate for this to not happen because of everything else that's going on, right? There shouldn't be any more victims of what's yeah, I mean, I'm not going it, on. Yeah, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen or that it's not, you know, that Carly Lloyd's not deserving of it. It just kind of feels like, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like going back to work after a death in the family, you know, like, are you ready for it or, or are you not? And it's going to be weird, you know? So. Well, but sometimes it can, can take your mind off the grief, right? Like yeah, maybe, so. maybe, maybe it'll remind us, you know, what this league is really about, which is the players playing soccer. And you and I both know that, you know, this is by far the most competitive league in the world, right? I'm not, I'm not getting into an argument of like, is it a better league kind of thing? Um, sorry, FAWSL, we don't have any eight zero results, right? You know, we need more <laughs> in, in this league. We need more Michelle Beto's moments. You know, remember when she scored that goal? It was a Friday yeah. night. It was during the World Cup. It was the first game after the break for the group stage. It was late at night. It was a nothing kind of boring game, and all of a sudden. Beto scored, and it was like 12.30 at night on the East Coast, and NWSL Twitter exploded with excitement over that. And and, and it hadn't been like a, a vibrant night, and I feel like we don't get that anymore. Like, the only time we get that way now is when somebody goes down for some off-the-field instance, or there's some weird suspension that the league doesn't want to give you the you know, the dirty details on, and, and we need more, we need more moments like that. You know, like you let's have a four goal game from Carly Lloyd with the fourth goal in stoppage time to win like a Sam Kerr 
moment, you know, four, three in stoppage time and she gets all four, you know, there's got, there's got to be something. And you know what? You might actually get an uptick in, in viewers because the league has been in all these places that it's, I've never seen it before. So, you know, if you're going to have a great game, this might be the one to, to put on a good show. Well, at the same and, time, if if you're at the same time, if you if you live near Chester, right? Like if you live near there, whether you know who Carly Lloyd is or not, and you were thinking about going to the game, like are you gonna go? If you're not already a fan of the league, I, I you know, I don't this know. This is a whole new kind of cranky for you. You've never been so overly chatty that I can remember. Um, but <laughs> well, that, that that tells you how that tells one. me how upsetting it is. But I I think about. I mean, as I've been trying to prep to call tomorrow night's games, I feel like. Oh, no wonder you're looking forward this... to getting back to the games. You're going to be on the broadcast. I'd be but, excited but too. If I be were weird, doing but it's going to be weird too, because I feel like everything that's happened on the field up to this point has been thrown out the door. Like talking to the dash coach today, you know, we were asking James, you know, do you think you still have the momentum from that big four zero win at Louisville? Or has that momentum been lost? And he was very frank about, he goes, that feels like a year ago. Yeah, I believe (laughs) it. It feels like a whole new season. And it made me think about how this is kind of a great equalizer in in terms of, like, I like to say this about rainy games is that it kind of puts both teams, you know, even if one team is much better than the other, rain makes the field sloppy, kind of changes up everything. I, I feel like, it's going to be so hard player to player, team by team, coach by coach, how people process everything that's happened in the last week, um, how much they've played, practiced, not practiced, if they had to travel, not travel. I feel like the Wednesday games and this weekend's games, because not everybody plays Wednesday, um, will be probably the most unpredictable of of any games this season. Yeah, and it'll be factor like, in factor in that we know the games that didn't get played last weekend will be rescheduled. We know they're gonna have to be rescheduled for a midweek um date. So we're looking at like probably the most compressed schedule we've had for NWSL in a really long time. Yeah, this will be well yeah, like twenty fourteen, right? When FC Casey had like nine straight weekday, weekend, weekday, weekend things. Um, and then actually that freed them up to go on a big run and, and win the title later that year. But it feels a little like the start of the Challenge Cup because there was really no consistent soccer in 2020. I hope the quality is better because the first weekend or two of the Challenge Cup this year was a little rough. Um, but, yeah, it's it's very weird. I mean, think about the fact that the Spirit forfeited two games because of COVID protocol violations. And that's like the 12th or 13th like most salacious thing that's happened in the league <laughs> this year. Like they're literally like, everyone's going to have 24 games. They're going to have 22 thorns and rain are going to have 23. You know, it's, you know, statistically speaking, they'll have 24 in the standings. It, yeah. That's like a nothing story because it's just, it, there's just so much other, there's only 10 teams here, you know, where it's like, there's not like these other leagues where there's 30 teams. I mean, there's 10 teams and, you know, well, like and every, it feels like it was two years else. ago. It feels like it was two years ago that the Elise LaHue news broke, right? Yeah, another um, you know hush hush sort of. Let's not tell anybody what's going on. Sort of. I deal. mean, at yeah, least that's... at least we knew we knew that that was related to the anti-harassment policy, right? Right. But, but uh, as opposed to we've parted ways, but right. 
Yeah. So much so. transparency that needs to happen. And and let's let's kind of wrap up our chat with kind of the, the media side of it. Um, and this is something where I feel like the listeners, the fans can can ask for this too, right? Like my frustration is like, why why don't we know which players are supplemental and which ones aren't? Why aren't national team replacement players when they roll off their contract? Why isn't that announced? You know, why, why, are, why is there not a transaction tracker, um, you know, uh, on the website, all of just the, the basic information, you know, if, if we're building a soccer league, we know that fans want information, you know, fantasy sports is becoming bigger and bigger, but you can't have fantasy sports unless you have information. Um, you know, I, one of the reasons that I started building my databases and, and, you know, obviously spending a lot of time talking to you, checking, checking stats and ultimately publishing my almanac is because it was information I wanted and I couldn't find. Right. But it's just like, it still blows my mind that this isn't something that is um, more valued, shared and distributed. Just, I mean, blast it all over the place. Anytime any player is hitting some kind of milestone, you know, um, the the information it's, it's, it's key. It's, it's, it's valuable. Think of the chicken and egg thing, because I would guess that the league will tell you that, well, we put this up and nobody cares, but you have to make it available. And in order for people to care, right? Like, you know, you can't just put up a graphic one time about a record, and hope that it sticks. You have to actually build some excitement into that record and, and, and things like that. You know, like the roster. Yeah, you're right. There should be a press release every time there's a roster move for any team in the league, as insignificant as it is. It doesn't have to be a big press release, but there's got to be a record kept somewhere of that happening. And, you know, again, I, you know, how many times have I been on here and said that, you know, they should look at what makes the NFL successful? Unfortunately, they've pretty much looked at all the things that make the NFL a horror show, and they've copied those and forgotten about the ones that make them successful. But the NFL was doing mandatory injury reports for decades before gambling got legalized. They wouldn't admit it, but that was because people were going to gamble on the league. And even if they couldn't you know, say, yeah, you're gambling on our league, that's what helped draw, drive popularity of the league. And that's why teams get fined when they fudge the injury report in the NFL, and they don't necessarily in the NWSL. And if they do, nobody hears about it because it's not that important to hear about. So yeah, the, uh, you know, again, you know, I think every time something bad happens, we hope like, you know, all right, deep breath. This is the start of a new day, deep breath. This is the start of a new day. But (laughs) so, so far, I really think the committee and the law firm they hired are really poor reflections that, you know, if, if I'm, if anybody's thinking that somebody quote unquote gets it now, I've yet to see that evidence. And one other thing, I so, gotta say this. No, I though, say though this. I want, though I want to give props to Sauvage and Long because I think those are those are the right. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about them, but they're they don't there's no red flag about either one of them that says you should not be on this committee. You know, that, I mean, it should not be the bare minimum that there's no like. You know, there's no hard stop on <laughs> it. If you Google your name, no horrible headline. Exactly. Kind of? Exactly. Yeah, if, I mean, yeah, one page even, you know, maybe the third page, you know, I can see, you know, go to the third page of your Google returns. But another thing the NFL does, I don't know if I've said this on this podcast or not, but I've 
said it on Twitter and in my columns. The NFL makes the ownership be available to the media once a year. It is absolutely mandated. That is a bare minimum for the NWSL, right? Steve Baldwin got to make himself available once a year. Merritt Paulson, you want to be quiet now? Fine. But at the end of the year, you got to talk, and people are going to ask you about what happened in 2015. I think that would go a long, long way to start opening things up for everybody. Well, and let me throw in an unpopular opinion. Um, Players need to do the same thing. No, no question about it. Players should be doing it every every game and every practice, but but owners should absolutely once a year be doing it. Right, but I'm I'm saying that because you and I have both experienced long stretches of players not wanting to do it either. And, and it's because you know, that's how they've been exposed. It's, it's like, that's that's yeah, the culture. I, I think, you know, this reckoning, which is, uh, I think, the best way to describe it, um, I hope it changes how a lot of players view this league, especially younger players, right? Where it's like, wait, this is something I need to fight for. I shouldn't just assume it's always going to be here, you know, especially when you think of, you know, players that are one or two years into the league. That means that they before, you know, they started high school knowing that this league existed. Right. Yep. Um, you know, that I, I think the players association is, is kind of finding their footing and figuring out their voice and, and figuring out what power they have and don't have. And, and to be frank, I feel like Lisa Baird handed, um, almost all of the league's power over to the players, which may or may not be a good thing down down the line, right? You need a little bit more uh, of a balance, but I think it's a huge opportunity for the players to um, own this league and maybe shape it into, you know, the best league we've ever had. Yeah, that would be nice because we've certainly the most long, this is certainly the most longstanding league but I don't know that you can say right now this is the best league we've ever had, but we all no, want we it can't. to get but that, there. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that's what we want it to be. So fingers crossed. Well, Dan, thank you for being so chatty. You chatty Kathy, you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and continuing to feed my Woso stat addiction. Everyone can follow Dan on Twitter. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter. And like I said before, lots of great coverage of everything that's going on at EqualizerSoccer.com, TheAthletic.com. Um, even some of the athletics coverage on this is not behind their their paywall. Lots of other uh, great reputable sites that people can find. But uh, bottom line, everyone, let's let's keep the faith and keep watching soccer. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Um, first and foremost, um, I know anyone listening probably wants to support the NWSL players as much as I do. So first, I would highly recommend um, if you if you want to give a donation, uh, check out NWSL Players Association website. They take donations. You can also donate to Athlete Ally or any group that works with players from the NWSL. Think about buying merch that has a player's name on it because usually some of that money gets back to them or if the player has their own merch, buy that merch. More importantly, and I know it might feel tough to do this right now, but watch games, go to games, bring others to games, talk about games, have watch parties, do something for the good of the game. It's the least we fans can do right now for the game 
and for the players. Um, because of everything that's happened in the last week, we have this visibility of NWSL that we've probably never had before. Um, and I would hate to think that all that exposure leads to just more negative, right? Use this um, awareness, right? Like you maybe have non-soccer friends that are suddenly aware of NWSL or suddenly aware of national teamers playing in NWSL. Say, hey, let's go to a game. Let's go to a bar and watch a game. Um, just keep talking about it. Keep tweeting about it. Keep keep inviting your friends to games. Um, and related to that, support professional coverage of women's soccer. I highly recommend subscribing to Equalizer's extra coverage. It's just, I think, $50 a year. And or subscribing to The Athletic, which has not only soccer, but all kinds of uh, professional sports coverage. And let your local media outlets know, whether it's TV, radio, um, newspaper, whatever, let them know that you expect regular coverage of women's soccer, whether or not uh, you have a team in your market. You know, they're not going to know that you're pissed that there's no coverage unless you let them know that you're pissed that there's no coverage. And speaking of games, um, it sounds like the games from last weekend, from October 1st and 2nd, will be rescheduled. So hopefully we'll hear uh, um, from the league soon on when that will be. And last but not least, coming up in a couple of weeks, we have the October FIFA window so there will be more international games. Canada will be playing New Zealand two games as part of their Olympic gold medal celebration. And of course, we have the U.S. women playing South Korea in two games. And the second of those games will be Carly Lloyd's last U.S. national team game. All right, that's it for this episode of The Mix Zone. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Roughneck Scarves and IcarusFC.com for your sponsorship. Thanks to my producer, Sean Ringrose, for everything you do. And big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.